Thank you for tuning in to the Bread of the Word podcast. Bread of the Word is an online ministry striving to feed people the life-sustaining bread of God's Word. Bread of the Word exists for the reclamation of the Bible in the heart, mind, and walk of all the saints of God, for it is the Bible itself which is the ultimate standard by which people are to live and honor God. Thank you for tuning in. This is Bread of the Word. To the Bread of the Word podcast, Reclaiming the Bible and Exalting Christ, one verse at a time. My name is Tyler, and we are continuing in our study in the book of Ecclesiastes. And this is probably the first time some of you have seen my face in a couple weeks. Um, I've been pretty slammed schedule-wise, and I had to simplify for a couple weeks. But I am back with video, and we are continuing in the book of Ecclesiastes. We are asking the questions that make us whole, one piece at a time. And here we come to Ecclesiastes chapter 4, and it's a big chunk. Uh, we're going to cover all 16 verses in chapter 4, and it's it's definitely a big piece compared to what we've been um, doing lately. We spent almost a month in chapter 3, but uh, this week's text is longer, and it deals with a bigger concept that has challenged both ancient and modern Christians alike. And it's the correlation between a sovereign God and a world that is full of evil and suffering and injustice. And this continues the problem that we saw started in chapter 3. So picking up in verse 1 of chapter 4, it reads, Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun, and behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. And I thought the dead who are already dead more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been and has not yet seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. Then I saw that all toil and all skill and work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This is also vanity and a striving after the wind. The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. Better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and a striving after wind. Again, I saw vanity, in the Hebrew, hevel, vapor, under the sun. One person has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all of his toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity, is hevel and an unhappy business. Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he fails, when he falls, and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep him warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Better was a poor and wise youth 
than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice, for he went from prison to the throne, though his own kingdom had been born poor. I saw all the living who move about under the sun, along with the youth who was to stand in the king's place. There was no end of all the people, all of whom he led, yet those who come later will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity and a striving after wind. And so this continues what we saw um, um, Solomon beginning to lay out in chapter 3. I saw, um, verse uh, 3.16 says, Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness, and in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. And he continues fleshing this out in chapter 4. Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun, and behold, the tears of the oppressed. Psalm 7 um, sounds a little similar. O Lord my God, in thee do I put my trust. Save me from all them that persecute me, and deliver me, lest he tear my soul like a lion, rendering it in pieces while there is none to deliver. There's, there, there is a problem we, we see laid out in much of the Old Testament scripture of injustice, of oppression, of whatever word we want to use. This, this idea here of the unfortunate, of the, the marginalized, to use minor terminology. Um, and Charles Bridges sums it up in this way, that a sinful world is full of selfishness. Men, instead of feeling themselves to be members of one great body, as it says in Ephesians 4.16, each bound to each other in mutual helplessness, helpfulness, live only to, quote, seek their own at whatever cost to their fellow creatures. Psalm 12 says, The wicked walk on every side when the vilest men are exalted. These opening verses accomplish two things. They point out what is wrong and point out how things should be and ought to be. God's design for human relationships is different from what we see in the world today. Ephesians 4, verse 1 says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Philippians 2 um, echoes this. For, for all seek their own, not the things which are Christ's. But ye know the proof of him being Timothy, that as the son with the father, he hath served with me in the gospel. Him therefore I hope to send presently, as soon as I shall see how it go, will go with me. And what's laid out in some of the, the, the church epistles in the New Testament is a different way of interacting with our fellow man. That when we are brought into the fold of God, the way we relate to people is different at its very core. 
And as we've established in previous chapters, the problem of this, the problems of this world, as Solomon is laying out, tie us back to Genesis, the book of beginnings. And likewise, we shall look to the book of beginnings to consider the subjects of unity and injustice. Genesis chapter 9 says, And God blessed Noah, and his sons said to him, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth, and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground, and all the fish of the sea, into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. Now I say, I gave you green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it, and from man. From his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. And then he switches to poetic verse, and says, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And you, be fruitful and multiply. Increase greatly on the earth, and multiply in it. After the flood, God blesses Noah's family to be fruitful and multiply, for he has given them everything. But again, like, much like the garden, he gives them stipulations. But you shall not eat flesh with his life, that is his blood. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it, and from man. Now, the taking of life is not something God is particularly tolerant of. But the taking of human life is in a different category. From his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. Genesis 1 27, um, from the Septuagint rendering, says, And God made humankind according to the image of God. He made them male and female. He made them. Number 35 echoes this this concept. If anyone kills a person, the murderer shall be put to death on the evidence of witnesses. But no person shall be put to death on the testimony of one witness. Moreover, you shall accept no ransom for the life of a murderer who is guilty of death, but he shall be put to death. We have modeled here a structure of, of justice, not a he said, she said um, system but a system of justice by fair trial, by a plurality of witnesses in the ancient world, which is largely unheard of. In the age of Hammurabi's code, this idea of innocence until proven guilty was revolutionary. There's a lot in the Old Testament law that was very novel in this part of the world at this point in time. But it is clear that God desired justice in these scenarios. That justice is something that is very near to the heart of God. For God is a just God. And people who are made in his image ought to reflect that as well. Um, John Calvin comments on the severity of this concept. This doctrine, however, is to be carefully observed. That no one can be injurious to his brother without wounding God himself. Were this doctrine deeply fixed in our minds, we should be more reluctant than we are to inflict injustices. And so we bring all that into Ecclesiastes 4. That there is oppression done under the sun, and the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors there was power, 
and there was no one to comfort them. And I thought, the dead who are already dead, more fortunate than the living who are still alive. It is easy to jump to conclusions in this section, but look at what Solomon repeats here. The biggest problem does not seem to be the presence of oppression, but that there is no one to comfort them. As, con as horrible as the oppression is, the great tragedy that um, Solomon is zeroing in on is the fact that we feel that we are alone in said unfairness. And he says this twice, that there is no one to comfort them. There is no one to comfort them. Isaiah 51 says, I, even I, am he that comforteth you. Psalm 23 says, Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. There's, again, we, we're, we're talking about being made in the image of God, that there are elements of God's character that are reflected in the way he's made us. And there's a capacity for comfort that is also built into us in the same way that we desire justice because the God who made us is just. In his poem, The Raven, Edgar Allan Poe asks, is there balm in Gilead? Is there, um, so to speak, is there comfort to be found? And the raven says, nevermore. That he is left with this empty feeling of hopelessness. And likewise, people are in need of comfort, and they're in search of comfort. Many are earnestly looking to the world for the balm in Gilead, for comfort and security. But the Lord is the one who comforts. The greatest comfort to be found is only in God and in the people of God. And outside of comfort, you have things like verse 3. And I thought the dead who are already dead more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been, that is not, has not yet been born, and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. Then I saw that all toil and all skill and work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. Better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil, and a striving after wind. Again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person has no other, either son or brother. Yet there is no end to all his toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, For whom am I tolling, toiling, and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity in an unhappy business. In short, hopelessness. Outside of Christ, this is where we pitch our tents. Hopelessness. But in Christ, there is hope in abundance and fullness of joy. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. And how can this be? Well, we go back to the initial, initial diagnosis. Behold the tears of the oppressed, and there is no one to comfort them. Verse 9 Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. So the great tragedy 
of the oppressive, says Solomon, is the isolation in it. Just as much as presence of unfairness in the world is a tragedy that we feel that we feel alone in in our in that unfairness that we are we feel isolated in this reality that the world is unfair as a man once wrote six feet of dirt make all men equal we're not truly isolated we share the image of god god did not make us in his image to be alone Genesis 2.18, the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. Let us make for him a helper. The Septuagint says, make him a helper like him. The alternative to isolation, in oppression or in general, is love. Ephesians 4, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And in the New Testament, when we read about love in this context, it is some variation of the word agape or agapeo, godly love. And the other side of the cross, that love is available to Christians, that that is also Christian love. This is how God loves us, but because of what God has done in us as his ransomed people, this is how Christians love each other and love other people. 1 Corinthians 13, very famous passage we like to read at weddings, says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. And the word for love that we read here is a variation of agape, of godly love. Because part of what Christ does in us, as his redeemed people, is that he enables us to love as he loves. That there is a conformity to his image, to his likeness, that brings us back to the garden prior to the fall, when we were purely made in his image. 
And that image has been somewhat defaced by sin. But through Christ, that is being restored. And part of that is that we love as he loves. Jonathan Edwards once described heaven as a world of love. The love of God repairs that which is broken and enables us to love others as he loves. 1 Peter 4 says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. One of the key um, words in 1 John is agapitoi, which means beloved. And this is this very much captures how John viewed the church. This was something he cared very deeply for. He had a very deep love for this thing called the church. And it's incredible to me because the church is full of people that kind of stink. The church has always been full of sinful people. It, the early church had sinners in it. There are times where you will read the New Testament and realize these people are just as messed up as me. There's not a hierarchy between the old churches and the current churches. We are all churches full of sinners. But he addresses the church in Ephesus as agapitoi, beloved. Verse 7 through 12 of chapter 4. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. If, in short, if we love God, God is love. That is part of his his nature. And we're made in the image, so that nature is reflected on us, like a mirror. It is a reflection of the fact that God loved us first, that we love God. And we love as he loves, that agape becomes our MO, our method of operating. Song of Solomon 2.4, he brought me to his banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. This is one of the key points of the Christian ethic, is love. The way we respond to um, cases of oppression and injustice is with love. And there are different ways that we can flesh out how we respond to that. Um, I'm not going to give you a blueprint for how to respond to the oppressions of our day, except that it be done in love. Wherever loving God and loving people takes you, go. But back to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. For he went from prison to the throne, though in his own kingdom he had been poor. I saw all the living who move about under the sun, along with that youth who was to stand in the king's place. There was no end of all the people, all of whom he led, 
yet those who come later will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity and a striving after wind. So we keep coming back to this problem of unfairness and oppression. And it does sometimes rain for the unjust, and sometimes there are droughts for the godly. Um, nobody said this thing called the Christian life would be easy. Um, G.K. Chesterton once said that the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. The Christian ideal has been found difficult and left untried. Things are hard. The reality is, life is hard without Jesus, or life is hard with Jesus. And so it's not choose the easier way, it is choose your heart. But in the case of oppression and injustice, and the fact that sometimes the world is unfair. God's sovereignty does seem unfair sometimes from our human perspective. But the thing that Solomon seems to focus on in this is the lack of comfort. We may not be able to fix the oppression of our day. We may not be able to make the world perfect and fair. We may die in a world that is um, just as unjust as it was when we were born. But what can we do instead? Going back to the account of the flood, we can keep sending out the bird. And it happened after 40 days. Noah opened the window of the ark that he made, and he sent off the raven in order to see if the water had abated. After it went out, it did not return until the water dried up from the land. He sent off the dove after to see if the water had abated from the land. And when the dove did not find rest for its feet, it returned to him in the ark, because water was on all the face of all the land. Stretching out his hand, he took and brought it to himself in the ark. Having waited yet another seven days, again he sent forth the dove from the ark. The dove returned to him toward evening, and it had a dry leaf of an olive tree in his mouth. So Noah knew that the water had abated from the land. And having waited yet another seven days, again he sent forth the dove, and it no longer repeated its return to him. Noah was in the ark. The rain had stopped, and the water was just there. There wasn't anything Noah could do to make the water recede. He couldn't change his scenario. All he was able to do was do a little thing in faith time and time again. And it's interesting that in the the Masoretic text, um, and even in the Septuagint, it says, you know, he starts with a raven. He sends out a raven. And after a while, the raven um, does not come back. But he sends out a raven to see if the waters had receded. And in our culture, our modern-day context, we view ravens as a sign of death, as like a bad omen. And I'm not entirely sure that that's how Hebrews would have looked at ravens, but it is interesting that our understanding is it's a sign of death. But it was part of God confirming to Noah his own provision. And like Noah sending out the bird and being unable to change his circumstances, we can, while focus on the, on the right things, do little things for others. The rich and the poor all go to the same place. 
So let us not become so focused on ending poverty that we forget the poor. Romans 12 says, Abhor what is evil. Let love be genuine. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. So how do we respond to an unjust world? According to Solomon, we love others as Christ has loved us. And maybe that means grand gestures um, of, of changing what's wrong. And maybe that is as simple as bringing a, a broken person into our home and sharing a meal with them. But these are both things that can flow from a right understanding of how we love God and how we love people. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Bread of the Word podcast. I pray that it has been beneficial to your walk with God and that he has called you into a deeper relationship and fellowship with himself. If you want to hear more from Bread of the Word, feel free to hit that subscribe button down at the bottom. Get notified about new content whenever we go live. Um, you can also watch us on Rumble Video and YouTube, or you can listen on your favorite podcast platforms. Um, you can also find us on social media if you want to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Gab. Links will be provided in the bio um, if you would like to check those out. And there will also be a message in the comment section, um, a free gospel message for download entitled The Two J's, The Joy of the Potter and the Journey of the Clay. That's something that I've written, that's something God laid on me to write and then send out. And so I'm not making anything off of it. I'm not selling it. It is free for you to read and share. We need a further saturation of the gospel in our world, in our culture. And it starts right here. Bread of the Word Ministries exists for the reclamation of the Bible and the exaltation of Christ through the reading and teaching of His holy transformative word. I hope you guys have a great rest of your day. God bless. Matthew 4.4 4.